This morning we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through to 10, and the title of my sermon is Dead or Alive? Dead or Alive? First of all, in Ephesians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul enumerated, listed, some of the spiritual blessings that belong to all who are in Christ, having been chosen by God and predestined before the foundation of the world to be holy and without blame before God in love as his children. Those blessings include redemption through the precious blood of Christ, the forgiveness of sins, all sins, past, present and future, knowledge and understanding of spiritual truth, and in the world to come, a heavenly inheritance. And even now, all who are accepted before God in his dear Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, are sealed with the Holy Spirit, who is the earnest or the deposit of their heavenly inheritance. Secondly, Paul said that he never ceases to thank God for the Ephesians in his prayers, mentioning the greatness of the power of God towards them that is the same power that raised the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead. That power that works in you now is the power that raised up Jesus. Now we have arrived at chapter 2 and the power of God towards the Ephesians can be seen in their being quickened or being made spiritually alive. We saw in that first reading, Jesus said to Nicodemus, the Pharisee, the ruler of the Jews, you must be born again. And this morning, we're going to be looking at being quickened, or being made alive, together with the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll have a look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through to 6. And you have he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, have quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved and have raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. <laughs> Wonderful words there from the Apostle Paul. According to verses 1 and 5, the power of God that raised the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead has raised the Ephesians to spiritual life. And not just the Ephesians. Did you note that in verse 5, 
Paul included himself. Look at that again. Even when we were dead in sins. Speaking about himself just as much as he's speaking to the Ephesians about being quickened, made alive. In fact, all who are in Christ, whether they be Jews or Gentiles, we see that from the Ephesians who were largely Gentiles, Paul who was a Jew, so whether they be Jews or Gentiles, all who are in Christ have been quickened and raised up to spiritual life. And that is the work of God, the Holy Spirit. For example, in John chapter 1, verses 11 through to 13, Jesus said of himself, He, that's Jesus, came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. In the first instance, Jesus was saying that the Jews who did trust in him when he came into the world, because most of the Jews rejected him. But those who did trust in the Lord Jesus Christ when he came manifest in the flesh, they were born of God. More broadly, that applies to all who are trusting in Jesus as their Saviour and their Lord. They They are people who are born of God or quickened, or raised up to spiritual life. That's you, if you are a Christian. As well as those Ephesians of old, and as well as the Apostle Paul, you are quickened, made alive in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you are trusting in him. Before the Ephesians were made alive in Christ, they were dead in trespasses and sins. Verses 2 and 3 give details of what being dead in trespasses and sins actually means. Let's have a look again at verses 2 and 3. Wherein in time past, before they were quickened, in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past. There's Paul including himself again there. In times past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. There's the, That's a description in those two verses, not of everything, but that's a, generally what people are like before they are quickened or raised up together with Christ. Walking according to the course of this world means living in harmony with a world that is hostile to God. A world that loves wickedness and hates righteousness. A world in which people, instead of seeking to do the will of God, their maker, choose rather to fulfil their own sinful desires or lusts And by doing so, they do the lusts, ultimately they do the lusts of the devil, who is the prince of this world. And he was a murderer from the beginning and the father of lies. So when you, by sinful nature, do what you want to do, you fulfill the the lusts of the flesh, 
you're doing the loss of your father, the devil. Those of you who are not quickened by God, made alive by God. Along with everyone else who has not been quickened, the Ephesians used to be the children of disobedience, according to those verses, steadfastly refusing to believe the gospel of Christ. They were not obedient to the gospel, that he came into the world to save sinners. When, when, when we are told in the Bible to believe the gospel, it's not with a pretty please. It's a command. Believe the gospel and be saved. God's not messing around. He gives an, he, he issues a, a command to this world to, to repent and to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. It's that obedience, whether it's obedience to the gospel or disobedience, that separates that people into two categories in this world. Those who are the recipients of God's heavenly blessings and those who are not. The Bible teaches that all of us are born into this world as totally depraved sinners. I think even even. Many Christians and indeed pastors, they like to hold back on that total depravity that the Bible so clearly teaches. They, they will insist on saying that uh, deep within us, deep in the crevices of the heart, there is some good. That's not what the Bible teaches. For example, in Romans chapter 3 verses 10 through to 18, the Apostle Paul said, There is none righteous, no not one, There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Their their throat is an open sepulchre, an open tomb. Or With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips. Though, uh, sorry, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness, their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are, are in their ways, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And the only exception to that, the only exception to there is none righteous, no, not one, is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the only one who come into this world and knew no sin. The sinless Son of God. The depth of the depravity that is in all of us is far from evident in many people. Although we are totally depraved by sinful human nature, clearly, from our own experience, that's not what we see. I see a lot of nice people and I feel ashamed of myself as a Christian and as a pastor that I'm nowhere near as nice as some of these people I see. People who don't know Jesus. And John Calvin pointed out that even the unregenerate, those who have not been quickened or made alive, can perform moral good. He said that some worldly men have uniformly conducted themselves in a most virtuous manner through the whole course 
whole course of their lives. And I'm sure that we all know certain people who do reject the Lord Jesus Christ and his gospel, yet they still live lives that are often selfless, not selfish, but selfless and beyond reproach. We need not imagine that every person who responds to an urgent call to donate blood or to do some act of kindness or compassion for others has been quickened and made alive by the Spirit of God. That's simply not the case. And we need not imagine that when a Christ-rejecting person does something virtuous and kind and caring, that he is always doing it for selfish reasons. That's not the case. However, whatever selfless thing that person does do for the common good, and no matter how a law-abiding that person might be, no matter how much that person disapproves of abortion or same-sex marriage or some other unrighteousness, some other evil in this world, you can be sure that that person is not doing what he does with thanksgiving in his heart towards God who sent his only begotten son into the world to save him from his sins. Clearly that's not the case. For all that person's acts of kindness and compassion, the wrath of God abides on him. In verses 4 and 5, Paul reveals the reason for God's mercy towards the Ephesians and himself and all of you Christians who were once dead in your trespasses and sins. Until such time, God quickened you. God raised you up in Christ Jesus. And the reason for doing so, for raising you up, is love. Look at verses 4 and 5. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, have quickened us together with Christ by grace, you are saved. It's all about love there, isn't it, in those verses. This takes us back to chapter 1 and verse 4, where Paul said, according as he have chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. That last bit there, holy and blameless, without blame before him in love, that love, you have to understand, is an everlasting love, not of us, but of God, towards us. If you who were dead in trespasses and sins have been quickened, made alive, raised up together with Christ, it is because of God's love for you. With loving kindness, God has drawn you to his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, having loved you throughout eternity. Therefore, dear Christian, it is entirely by the grace of God that you can testify that you have been crucified with Christ. You are now raised up together with Christ and the life you now live in the flesh, you live by faith of the Son of God who loved you and who gave himself for you. As it is plainly written in verses 8 and 9, look at verses 8 and 9 in chapter 2. 
For by grace are ye saved, through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Throughout our lives, we are encouraged to achieve success through hard work at school, college, university, in the workplace, in sports and so on. Targets are generally reached through your own endeavours. It's up to you whether you succeed or not and how much you do succeed. Entirely up to you whether you succeed or fail. This is also the way it is with religions that put the responsibility upon individuals to gain acceptance by God. For example, some religions have a seemingly endless cycle of reincarnations whereby followers are believed to be recycled time and time again when they die and they keep trying to live a better life each time they're recycled until eventually they accumulate enough karma points to be integrated with God, whatever that might mean, being integrated with God after an endless cycle of reincarnations. But that's up to you. What, whether you, what you come back as and uh, how many re- reincarnations you have, that's re- largely up to you how you live your life until such time you're integrated into God. Other religions teach that whatever you do in this lifetime will determine how long you spend in a place called purgatory where you will receive a final purification before entering into heaven. Again, it's all, it's, it's up to you. How you live your life now will determine how long you spend in purgatory. Oh yes, and also how long, how much rather people are praying for you when you're in purgatory. Human endeavour. Generally, all false religions will have in place an ongoing system of procedures, practices, dress codes, pilgrimages, sacrifices, festivals and so on that the followers are required to observe in order to be saved. What that amounts to is that your salvation, your eternal well-being are dependent upon you. You are responsible for your salvation. The spotlight is not on God, the spotlight is on you. However, as can be seen in verses 8 and 9, your own efforts count for nothing when it comes to your salvation. By grace you are saved. There will be no boasting in heaven, no glorying in yourself in the presence of God. There will be none who will be able to claim success on their part for their salvation as they give themselves a big pat on the back and they receive applause from the angels in heaven. There'll be none of that. Putting together some of what we've been considering, if you really are a Christian, I say that because there are people, I don't say it, the Bible says it, there are wheat and tears in this world. They, they look pretty much the same and they grow together in this world. But it will be very different come the harvest when the wheat are gathered into the barns of the Master, the Lord, 
and the, 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 the tares, the weeds, like chaff, will be thrown into the fire. If you really are a Christian, it is entirely by the grace of God that you are eternally saved. Entirely by that I mean 100% of the Lord that you are eternally saved. As someone who is loved with an everlasting love by God, having been quickened when you were dead in trespasses and sins and following the lusts of your sinful flesh. It is a mercy of God that you are raised up together with the crucified and risen Saviour, whom you now believe, having previously rejected him. It's all by the grace of God. Can you see that the very fact that before people become Christians, they are dead in trespasses and sins, before you became a Christian, dead in trespasses and sins, can you see how that destroys any fanciful ideas that becoming a Christian involves an exercise of free will, whereby a person chooses to become a Christian? How often have I heard Christians and Christian pastors talking about free will when they become Christians? That simply is not the case. How can someone who is dead in trespasses and sins exercise free will? Also, can you see that salvation from sin by the grace of God for people who are by nature the children of God's wrath destroys any fanciful notions that some professing Christians have this is coming from Christians again, that in eternity God looked along the corridors of time and he saw who would make a decision for Christ, who would choose Christ, who would exercise their, their free will and receive Jesus. And so God elected them for salvation. They forget or they don't seem to understand that the wrath of God abides on all who are dead in their sins. Nothing to do with looking along the corridors of time and saying, oh, well, that one here is a real champion. I can see that in time to come that he or she is going to make a decision for Christ. It's nonsense. It's, it's, it, makes me, it concerns me when I hear Christians speaking like that because I, I sometimes think they really haven't understood it. They haven't understood the gospel and the grace of God. And it makes me wonder where they are, spiritually, when they come out with that stuff. In John chapter 6 and verse 28, certain people said to the Lord Jesus Christ, what shall we do that we might work the works of God? This was after Jesus had fed the multitude with some bread and fish. It's interesting to note that the works that they were inquiring about, they rightly ascribed to God. They said, what shall we do that we might work the works of God? So they got that bit right. Anyway, the answer that Jesus gave them was, this is the work of God, that ye believe on him whom he hath sent. 
namely Jesus. That is the work of God, that you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You want to do something to get saved, to have everlasting life? Well, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the thing you can do. And that in itself, as we see here, is a work of God. To believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as your saviour from sin is undoubtedly the most important thing that you must do. You must do it. And if you have understood anything that has already been considered this morning, you will appreciate that believing in the Son of God as your saviour from sin, it really is the work of God. Being quickened, being made alive, you who were disobedient by uh, and followed the course, walked according to the course of this world, you who had a love affair with this world, become a Christian, it's the work of God when you first believed. But then what happens next? When by the grace of God you're saved through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, no boasting in heaven, but what happens next in this lifetime? You, as a born-again Christian. Well, let's have a look at verse, verse 10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. In verse 10, Paul describes all who have been saved by the grace of God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He describes them as Paul's workman, uh, sorry, God's workmanship. And similarly, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, Paul said, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation or a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. That's you. If you are quickened, made alive together with Christ, saved by the grace of God from your sins through faith in Jesus, you are a new creature in Christ. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. As a Christian, you are a new creature. That's so important to understand. You are God's workmanship. And you're created in Christ Jesus. Rather, God has prepared good works for you to walk in. It's there in verse 10. What are those works that God has prepared for you to walk in them? They are not what the unbelieving world has adjudged to be good works. You can ask people, unregenerate people who hate God, who hate Jesus, what good works you should do and they'll tell you. But that's not what God has declared or has decided is good works. The good works that he has prepared for you in advance, in eternity, for you to walk in. They are works that are the fruit of a genuine God-given saving faith in Jesus. And they are done as unto Christ. Whatever you do, 
and yeah, I'm not saying that you do a wonderful job of it. Not, I, I most certainly don't either. But it, what you do is accepted in the beloved because you come to God washed in the blood of Christ and clothed with his righteousness. God loves you as his child. That's what makes them good. Works that God has prepared for you. A bit like giving a little child something to do, maybe a, a drawing and that child brings you a piece of scribble and you love that piece of scribble that the child has brought to you because you love the child. Not because it's a masterpiece that should be in, a, in an art gallery somewhere. And you do it as unto the Lord Jesus Christ. That's an important thing. A whole different mindset as a Christian. Why you do what you're doing. Again, it's back to the, the people in this world who have no interest in the Saviour. And they do do good things. And there's no getting away from it. A lot of people do a lot of good things. But it's not as unto Christ. And that is not acceptable to God. Let's just have a, I just want to read to you from Matthew chapter 25. Uh, this is my go-to chapter whenever I want to give an example of what it means to do good works. Things that you would do without giving it a second thought because you are a new creature in Christ. I'm going to read to you Matthew 25 verse 31 through to 40. This Jesus speaking here of when he comes again in judgment. Matthew chapter 25. Verse 31. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory and before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. That doesn't mean to say he's going to have England here, America there, Scotland there. Nations is just different ethnic groups. Everyone who has ever lived will be there at the ju uh, being judged by the Lord Jesus Christ. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come ye, blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Here we go. For I was a hungered, and ye gave me meat, or food. I was thirsty, and ye gave me drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me in. Naked, and ye clothed me. I was sick, and ye visited me. I was in prison, and ye came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee and hungered, and fed thee, or thirsty, and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger, and took thee in, or naked, and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick, or in prison, and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily, verily, uh, verily I say unto you, inasmuch ye, as ye have done unto one of the least of these my brethren, Ye have done it unto me. And this really does take us back to uh, a, a, a very important biblical doctrine. If you love God, that love is seen in a love for the brethren. 
You can't claim to love God if you don't love the brethren, Christian brethren. And it's a doing love. It's not just, um, uh, I've said before, it's not just a nice warm Christian smile and uh, perhaps a few kind words. It's a doing love. Not, and you don't, it's, it, you don't, it's not something that's done religiously. Remember, these are people who have an inheritance prepared for them from the foundation of the world. It's not something that they've earned. They've just shown themselves to be what they are. At this, when Jesus comes again in judgment, he won't hear all the evidence before him. Like in a normal court, the whole thing's been decided. And Jesus, when he comes in judgment, he will, he will, um, those people who have done what they have done, as unto Christ, as people who are saved by the grace of God, through faith in Jesus, doing what they do as new creatures in the Lord Jesus Christ, he will say to them, He will send them to everlasting life. Look at the end there, verse 46. Those who are not saved by the grace of God shall go away to everlasting punishment, but the righteous unto life eternal. The punishment there, everlasting punishment. And the punishment, first and foremost, is because they have not believed the gospel and they have not received Jesus as their Lord and their Saviour. And the, the good works that we see from those who are saved by the grace of God, they are as inevitable as good fruit is inevitable on a good tree. As we come to a close, I trust that you have seen that becoming a Christian is not about making a decision for Christ and then continuing to live as you have always lived. Rather, if you are a Christian, you know only too well that you are someone who, having been dead in your trespasses and sins, have been raised up together with Christ Jesus, whom you believe has paid the price for your sins at the cross. And now you are God's workmanship in him, in Christ. And by the grace of God that saved you, your chief desires as a Christian, are not what they used to be. Your world view has radically changed. Now you hate certain things that you once loved, and vice versa. You are now God's workmanship in Christ, and you are zealous of good works, which God have prepared for you to walk in, not in your own strength, but with God working in you to will and to do of his good pleasure, and to God be the glory, now and forever. Amen.